0: Welcome to Powering PMA Goals Workforce, sponsored by ServiceNow. I'm Mimi Gerges with the Government Matters Thought Leadership Network. When you think of your dream job, is it in government? President Biden's management agenda aims to make every federal job a good job. It emphasizes employee engagement at a critical time when Americans are interacting with the government in new ways. It challenges agency leaders to think differently about recruiting and retention to look beyond the numbers and build a workforce that reflects the population it serves. In this program, we explore the challenges and opportunities to transform the federal workforce and meet or exceed PMA workforce goals. Joining me now is retired General Larry Spencer. He's former Vice Chief of Staff for the U.S. Air Force. General, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: What would you say are the most pressing civilian workforce issues facing the Defense Department? And and how would you prioritize it?
1: Yeah, there there are several. I think uh, overall I would characterize it as as culture. Um, I think the civilian culture is one that uh, is not viewed very positively sometimes uh, by folks outside the government. I think that's a real shame. Uh, I think it's uh, it, it's unfortunate, uh, but I think culture, the, the civilian workforce in the DOD really needs to understand how important they are, how valued they are, uh, so, we can, so they can feel good about what they do every day. Um, I would prioritize that, number one. Number two, I would say training. Uh, if you think about it, uh, there are 1.3 million folks in uniform. There are 800,000 reserves, and then there are 750,000 civilians, so roughly a third of our fighting force is civilian. A lot of people don't realize that. But think about this, though. Of that 750,000, only 500 will graduate from training programs in in, in any given year. Less than 20 will be involved in programs like exchange with with, uh, civilian industry. So there needs to be a lot more training uh, in addition to the culture. And then finally, uh, I would say there needs to be a lot of more upskilling, reskilling so that when uh, our civilians come in, they don't just come in for one job, they think about the future. And I think DOD could do a lot better job at preparing our civilians that come into civil service for those jobs of the future, not just the job they have today.
0: And how would you say uh, DOD's approach to civilian talent management is different from the private sector or even from other federal agencies?
1: Sure. I, I think the biggest difference from industry is industry tends to hire a person not just for a job today, but they're thinking about five years from now, 10 years from now. So they really are looking for, in addition to the current skills of their job, they're looking for a baseline of skills so that that person can move up in the company in the future. Uh, DOD, civil service structure, not so much. If there's a GS11, GS12, GS13, they tend to hire for that position. Uh, the question is, okay, but what happens five years from now? Technology has changed, the world has changed, but you've got that person that you hired five years ago who may not be prepared for the future. So I think that's the largest difference, future-looking versus sort of uh, present-looking.
0: So how do you make that shift, though, from that kind of the short-term hiring that we've got now to more of a longer term and not just looking at the current position that you're hiring?
1: Sure. And One, I think we have to. So let me give you an example. Um, You can literally join civil service, and because I saw in my whole career, GS11, GS12, in a job, and you can stay in that job for 30 30 plus years, in the same job, same location. Uh, in civilian industry, they won't allow that. Uh, n- not because of the individual, but because of the future of the co- company and for the profitability of the company. Uh, and so rather than have those folks just sit in those jobs and then DOD will go out and hire other folks, they take those folks they already have and move them up through the company. So I think DOD has no choice, in my opinion, going forward and to stop looking at or, or sort of abandon this, this notion of we're hiring one person for one job, where rather we are hiring a person who has the requisite skills to make our company successful, to make DOD successful in the future.
0: And what would you say as far as data goes? What data is available um, to make better decisions when it comes to the civilian workforce? How do you use that data in a better
1: way? A Great question because one of the things I think that's really lacking is a good data system. So let me give you an example. Uh, if DOD today wanted to know, how many employees do we have that have uh, artificial intelligence experience? Uh, how many employees do we have that have hypersonic experience? They can't do that today. Uh, and so we, we have to have systems that have the data in them, stored in them, that, so we know what we have. It, rather than go out and hire someone, we need to first know what do we already, what, you know, the folks that we've already bought into the system, what skills do they have, particularly as you think about us going forward? And so the systems that we have now are really lacking. Uh, they're outdated and, and need to be updated, pretty upgraded, rather, pretty, pretty pretty, pretty seriously.
0: You know, it currently takes, on average, about 120 days to bring somebody on. <laughs> and I see your your reaction. What needs to be done to cut that number down?
1: Yeah, first of all, unacceptable. Uh, so what's happening today is young folks, or it don't have to be young, but in t- particularly young folks, will interview for a job. And, and, and not only are they interviewing for jobs in the Department of Defense, but they're interviewing for jobs all across industry in our country. And in industry, generally, particularly after an interview, it takes 48 hours or so to get back with an offer. 120 days later, when DOD calls, it's, it's too late. They've been working for four months already for another company. Um, so that is completely unacceptable. DOD, you know, there's a lot of excuses I think that are used, like, well, they have to get a security clearance. Well, there are ways of getting around that. You, know, you can hire folks with temporary clearance. So there's a lot of things I think we use. Uh, we just kind of call it bureaucracy that we just need to cut through and just stop. And uh, so DOD is not like civilian industry, but in this case, uh, they certainly need to learn from industry.
0: Can you point to any successes that you think the, the DOD has had that can be replicated uh, across the government?
1: Absolutely. So I'll give you an example. I, I'm really excited about what the new Space Force is doing. Uh, They sort of started with a clean sheet. So they are doing a lot of things that are innovative. In terms of talent management, back to the example I used with industry, they literally today in Space Force, when they hire someone, they hire them with a requisite baseline of space skills. So it could be a job for HR, a job for finance, an operational job, but they, they are still looking for a baseline of space expertise. So they bring them in, and then they give them a lot of training and a lot of mentorship, so they bring them up through the system Uh, Space Force is also doing a really good job trying to increase their diversity. Uh, Because right now the Space Force is not very diverse, but they are specifically going out to HBCUs and other uh, venues to try to bring more diversity in Space Force. So my experience in looking at DOD and looking at industry Space Force, I'm really proud of them because they're really doing a good job.
0: You know, General, DOD is obviously on the cutting edge of the most advanced technology available in the world. But on the IT level, there's a lot of frustration. Do you think that's impacting the ability to recruit and retain workers?
1: I think so, because uh, again, I can tell you from my experience in the industry, uh, IT drives most businesses. I mean, you know, just using a simple example, any of us that walk into work in, in, on any given day, if, we just told, if we're just told our email is down, we throw our hands and say, and say, oh my God, I can't work today. Um, and so you, a, IT must be an integral part of the operations, not an, a support agency sitting on the side Uh, waiting for my computer to break. They they have to be integrated. And I think a lot of folks are frustrated sometimes that they're not, uh, because they feel like they're, they're the computer folks and not really involved in the, the operation. Which is, I think, where DOD IT support should be.
0: You said earlier about, you know, kind of the difference between how DOD looks at the uniform service as opposed to the civilian service. What are those resources? What needs to be done on the civilian side to better match those?
1: Sure. Huge gaps between the amount of resources put on, on military folks as, as a, compared to civilian. Huge gaps. That needs to change. Again, 1.3 billion uniform 800,000 reserve 750,000 civilians they're they're that third leg in the stool so we have to reprioritize and readjust the resources that we put into put into our civilian workforce because they are critical to our warfighting capability
0: all right well general spencer so nice to talk to you thank you so well, much thank
1: you so much for having me i appreciate it
0: later in the program we'll talk to a panel of chief human capital officers from three agencies but first we'll get an industry perspective on tools and practices to transform the federal workforce. Stay with us.
2: Powering PMA Goals Workforce is sponsored by ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com slash gov. Later in the program,
0: we'll talk to a panel of chief human capital officers from three agencies. But first, we will get an industry perspective on tools and practices to transform the federal workforce. Joining me now is Kevin Brooks. He's ServiceNow's digital strategist. Kevin, welcome to the program.
3: Thanks for having me, Mimi. Appreciate it.
0: You know what, Kevin, I want to kind of take a step back and ask why the focus on the federal workforce? What ultimate impact does workforce issues have on um, the health of the United States?
3: Well, workforce is the backbone of the federal government. Uh, If you go back to any period in our history, federal workforce has been the key to success for this nation. Right now, we are reassessing the fact that we're in a near-peer conflict and the federal workforce is gonna be key to moving us forward for a whole of government approach. Uh, if you think about just innovation, innovation is the key for a free people to overcome authoritarian regimes. Our folks aren't afraid to, to be to fail and you have to be able to fail to succeed. Whereas in other nations, they may have more numbers than us. They may have more toys than us, but they're also working because they're being told to, not because they want to.
0: You know, one of the most urgent issues facing the federal workforce is generational. There are not enough young people coming in to replace older workers who are retiring or just resigning. What's the solution?
3: It's going to have to be a total uh, approach where the industry and government work together. You can't outspend industry. Let's just be, be real about that. The government has to find a way to make work that is valuable and uh, honorable, elevate that to a level where people want to do it. The mission is the calling for a federal workforce. So giving them better tools, having a better uh, experience when you come to work, and offering them a better quality of life while they're at work are three of the keys, I think, to getting younger folks to actually pay attention and say, hey, this government gig might not be bad.
0: You know, work-life balance, of course, is a big issue Mm -hmm. across all sectors. Where do you think the federal civilian workforce is on that issue? And what are ways for them to have a better experience?
3: So their desires are lockstep with those of the civilian their, perhaps their counterparts. They want a better work life balance. Uh, where they are, realistically, uh, it's probably off kilter a little bit, off center. So they don't have the tools they need. One to do their job effectively. So they're probably putting in more hours than they need to on things that they don't need to be working on. It's the it's the mundane things that are dragging their work their work life down. What you want to do is give them the ability to do those things that are hard and get rid of the complex things. and then you're able to have a better life balance with regards to um, how you feel about your work it's it's that's a feeling. it's not necessarily a you know a doing
0: Well, let's talk a little bit specifically about that yeah. about you know the innovation and the tools that are out there that will allow federal employees to have that better work-life balance and to innovate at scale?
3: Okay, so you need, what I would say is you need three things. You need a system that allows you to work, so action. You need a system that allows you to engage, so engagement and then insight. So tool number one is how do you do your work from a remote environment, a hybrid environment, or even in your office? Is your computer boot up quickly? <laughs> Can you log on from wherever you need to log on and do the things you need to do easily? That's, that's the first and the easiest thing to do. Number two, can I get the help I need if I need to solve a problem for myself? Can I do self-service through HR or IT or finance? Because those things take a lot of time and distract me from my work or from my private life. And then finally, do I know what I should be doing? So do I have the data and the ability to analyze what my work really is impacting?
0: Kevin, what is talent mapping and how does artificial intelligence play into that?
3: Okay, so talent mapping is where you use, you use the data you already have on an individual and maybe some questionnaires to get a little bit more rich data behind them um, outside of what their work skills are. So as an example, I might say, to you, hey, Mimi, tell me what your interests are. What are your hobbies? You know, what's your favorite color? I put that into, into a profile. And I use that profile to figure out what are your attributes versus your skills? What are the things you might be able to do well if I gave you the right training and the ability long-term? AI allows us to then take similar people who have similar backgrounds and similar attributes, and measure them against how they've performed in certain jobs to see if a certain profile maps to a certain position.
0: And you know, one criticism, and, and you kind of alluded to this, where you know American workers aren't um, uh, aren't afraid to fail, yeah, exactly. but a criticism is that they are disincentivized from risk taking. If you fail, you get blamed. If you don't try. Nobody blames you. So what's the solution there?
3: I think we have to figure out a way to measure good failure. So measured and calculated risks are always a part of what we've done as Americans. And I'll go back to my innovation at the beginning of the conversation. You think about the the movie Hidden Figures and the mathematicians who were trying to figure out how to get a man on the moon. They did a lot of calculations some of them were wrong. They knew at the end they had to keep doing that math until they got it right. And they were incentivized to keep doing the math because they knew the end goal. So if we tie those mission, those those elements of success and failure to the actual ultimate mission success, I think you can measure that much better. Did I fail in a good way? Did I fail forward? Or did I fail by an error of omission versus commission? You've got to find a way to measure that. Uh, and then I think once you are able to measure that, then you can start allowing your workforce to be much more free. Because I do agree it's a problem.
0: And, you know, you spent 26 years in public service and you're on the industry side now. So I wonder from your perspective, what best practices have you seen in industry that will work in the federal space? And, um, you know, specifically around this idea of talent
3: management, Mm -hmm. what have you seen? Okay. Number one is you got to start right. Uh, The onboarding and offboarding that the federal government provides to their employees is behind times. Uh, My own personal story, when I left federal service and came into private sector, uh, the higher to onboard cycle was 30 days from my first interview to the time I actually started working 30 days. Uh, I had a laptop, I had system access, I had everything I needed on day zero. And so day one, I was a full up round ready to work. We don't do that in the federal government. As general Spencer alluded to, it's 120 days to get someone on board. That's a long time. And that's just when they get in the door. That's not talking about system access and all the other things that go into getting someone ready to work. Number two, I think it's then a mentoring program. How do you mentor? How do you build uh, map a career? Going back to career mapping, it's also, do you have a path? What's my path? How am I gonna succeed? When's the next level time that I can level up? And what does that look like? And then lastly, it's going back to, we have to do better at making sure they're customer centric. Whatever your customer is, and the federal workspace, it's the US citizenry they got to have a just a completely customer-centric fo- focus.
0: All right, Kevin, thanks so much for being on the program.
3: Thank you, Mimi. Appreciate it.
0: Coming up next, we'll talk to a panel of chief human capital officers from three agencies about best practices and using new tools to improve recruiting, retention, and training. We'll be right back.
2: Powering PMA Goals Workforce is sponsored by ServiceNow. Learn more at servicenow.com gov.
0: Coming up next, we'll talk to a panel of Chief Human Capital Officers from three agencies about best practices and using new tools to improve recruiting, retention, and training. Joining me now are three Chief Human Capital Officers. Katherine Emerson is with the Department of Justice, Elias Hernandez is at the Small Business Administration, and Jennifer Ackerman is with the Department of the Interior. Welcome to all of you. Catherine, I want to start with you. In talking about recruiting challenges and best practices, you have something at the Department of Justice called the Attorney Honors Program. Tell us about that and, and how does it
2: work?
4: Well, the Department of Justice employs over 10,000 employees throughout our organization. So we are always searching for top legal talent, but we do have an amazing program, the Attorney General's Honors Program, which we recruit for year round by reaching out to law schools, Uh, bar associations, and through our ambassador attorney programs, we get quite a number of candidates. And from that, we hire anywhere from 150 to 200 entry-level attorneys.
0: So give me an idea of what your track record has been. How, How successful has this been?
4: It has been an extremely successful program. We have hired um, amazing attorneys who have gone on to do great things in the department and private sector. Um, we've had a number of attorneys who become senior executives within the government. Um, we've had members who become AUSAs, and in fact, we have a former Attorney General, um, Attorney General, former Attorney General Eric Holder was an honor grad.
0: And Jennifer, at the Department of the Interior, that mission is uh, wide-ranging, and you've got employees out in the field. You've got employees in the office. Tell me about what you're doing not only for recruiting but for retaining the employees that you have.
2: That's a great question, Mimi. So, yes, we have 70,000 employees. 57% are in place are field-based employees so they're out in the parks the dams the fish hatcheries and they have uh, their mission hasn't changed during the pandemic so what we're doing to retain our employees is first we ask employees as much as we can how do you like it since you've been here so we're getting positive feedback during the onboarding sessions to make sure that we're staying engaged with employees the other one is is we're looking at special salary rates to bring in employees, one is our firefighters, and we're working with USDA for our wildland fire, is bringing them up to the current salary with other private sector firefighter community. So we're working hard with the Office of Personnel Management and Office of Management and Budget because this is very important for our about 4 to 5,000 firefighters and and USDA has about 10 to 13,000 firefighters and we want to make sure that there's pay equity so our firefighters aren't going to the private sector. We're also looking for special salary rates for other ones that we're having to compete with the private sector. So that's recruiting and then retaining we're also having we also have exit interviews why are people leaving? And it, they are, it is positive. Usually when people are leaving, they're leaving for a promotion, but even when they leave for a promotion to another agency, about 90% say that, say that their time at Department of the Interior was positive. So we do look at that to see what we can change for um, moving forward in our exit interview. We've had 3000 respond to our exit interview since we've deployed that. So Elias,
0: tell me about the talent management uh, system that you have at SBA.
5: Yes, thank you for having me, Mimi. Yeah, our Talent Management Center is our enterprise talent learning system, which also provides capability for the organization with respect to performance management. And it's a system that our employees have been able to use, in particular during the pandemic, to continue to advance their skills and the the educational uh, programs in the organization uh, by actually uh, taking courses uh, while they were out uh, in remote settings and teleworking during the pandemic. And it's a system that provides us the capability to also conduct performance management reviews on a quarterly basis to provide feedback to our employees and allow them to have a conversation with their supervisors about what they have accomplished in the organization during a particular quarter and help us at the end of the process, you know, with the performance management system, uh, when the performance management cycle closes on September 30th of each year, to be able to facilitate and expedite the performance management reviews for the employees.
0: Well, tell me a little bit about the career development that you offer as far as supporting your employees in their careers. What are you doing there?
5: We do an array, uh, we have an array of programs in the organization to support career development and provide uh, the environment for the organization and employees to ascend in the organization. A few examples that I will mention to you. Uh, most recently, uh, we were able to expand our mentoring program for our employees. And in from FY 2021 to FY 2022, we have had an increase of 60% participation in that particular program. Also, what we are doing is we are providing uh, the capabilities for employees to participate in the employee development programs of the organization, which include uh, a lot of the offerings associated with uh, the the Franklin Covey uh, models that we have in the organization to improve trust in the organization, also to participate in some of the programs that are offered by the Office of Personal Management and the Partnership for Public Service, such as the Presidential Management Fellows Program, as well as the Excellence in Government Fellows Program. So those are a couple of examples, but we do have a robust internal uh, development program for the employees where they have opportunities to uh, apply for detailed opportunities in the organization and also ascend uh, to uh, high levels in the organization.
0: And and Catherine, regarding uh, career development at Justice, I wanna hear about your program called LEAP. It's Leadership Excellence and Achievement Program.
4: Yes, it's a highly successful program that we run. It's for Um, high-performing GS 13s and 15s throughout the department. Their component can nominate up to three, each with uh, the support of their supervisor. It's for those employees who are thinking about taking on a new uh, step in leadership in their career. And we have classroom instruction. We have them shadowing. In fact, they do a 120-day rotational program out of their component to another component within the department. And at the end, they do a team-based product, uh, project that um, they have to brief out to department leadership. So it's a very competitive program. It's highly successful. And um, we've just had raves about it. Jennifer, you
0: mentioned uh, collecting data like exit interviews. Mm-hmm. Tell me how you're, you're doing that and how you're using that data effectively so that you can make better decisions with the workforce?
2: So we we are trying to collect as much data as we possibly can, um, but we want to make sure that we're not collecting it just for the sake of collecting it. So uh, Kevin mentioned tools and having tools. So one, we, we have our exit interviews. We use Qualtrics for that. And we do give it to the bureau so they can also assess at their levels because our bureau's park service Fish and Wildlife do act independently. Um, Another thing that we're doing is during the pandemic, we did a survey to to, um, survey the supervisors, the workforce and the employees. How do you feel about telework, remote work. And so we use that to lean forward and supervisors and employees did support telework and remote work where it makes sense. And so um, we, we had about 10,000 people to 15,000 people, but depending on supervisors and employees, because supervisors are employees to respond to that. And we looked at that data, and we provided that to leadership to say, you know, we should have a remote work policy. We developed a remote work policy, and we updated our telework policy. And with that being said, we do have about 10% of our employees that can be remote work, and they are remote work. And then we have um, about 37% that are taking advantage of telework on a routine basis. So with that being said, we do use that data, We we um, and we're also developing a future of work plan to see where we wanna be in one year and, and in the next five years with reducing the footprint with our space, and where do we need to get more IT in our remote locations. So that's what we're doing with our data here at um, the at Department of the Interior.
0: Uh, Elias, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is a big push for the administration. What, do you do, what are you doing in that area to reach a more diverse pool of candidates? And then once you have them, how do you keep them?
5: Yes, absolutely. We are really, really taking diversity, inclusion, and accessibility to another level at the Small Business Administration, starting with analyzing the different processes that we have in the organization, in particular in the area of recruitment and, and retention. And uh, a couple of examples that I will mention to you, we have established partnership with college and universities, uh, to really uh, develop a relationship with our organization, to provide access to the uh, employ- employment opportunities that we have for the Small Business Administration, uh, we have also incorporated diversity and inclusion in our performance management system, starting at the senior executive level all the way down to the employees in the organization, and uh, we are using uh, that information to, uh, to, you know, to make the necessary changes in our organization to promote uh, more diversity. And includes a more diverse and inclusive workplace. Uh, those are a couple of examples are related to the to the partnerships that I mentioned already, but also uh, reviewing the data. Right, w- what is the data telling us in terms about why our employees are leaving the organization? So what we've done is we have a very robust onboarding process, which requires employees to participate in a more frequent engagement with each other in terms of a cohort that we put together for new employees, and also on a quarterly basis, we bring the senior leaders of the organization to engage with the employees, to provide them additional guidance and information with respect to the mission of the agency.
0: Catherine, you know, I want to ask you about the, the mission, obviously, of the federal government is an important mission. It's really incredible work and rewarding work. Is this a branding issue for the federal government that people aren't applying?
4: I think we could do a much better job on branding in the government. It is a wonderful place to work. It is great career for folks. And we could especially do a good, better job with recruiting our younger um, candidates.
0: All right. And, and your, your thoughts, Jennifer, on that. Wrap it up for us.
2: I, I totally agree with that. But I think if we can collectively come with how we can modernize the hiring process, I know we're working with OPM on that. And if we can you know, appeal to our younger um, generation, um, the millennials, the, gen- the newer generation on how we can be more modern and promote flexibilities. I think that would be great. And I know that we're with these fine colleagues here, we can do that. Mimi, um, we can make, uh, the, the government a great place to work and speed up the hiring processes as, as we've all said.
0: <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, you know, we're going to leave it at that. Thank you so much for the work that you guys are doing and uh, for being on the program. I appreciate talking to each of you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you for watching Powering PMA Goals Workforce sponsored by ServiceNow. This is our first installment of our Powering PMA Goals series. For more information on the subject matter we discussed today, go to govmatters.tv ServiceNow. For the Government Matters Thought Leadership Network, I'm Mimi Gergis.